Well, welcome to the Man Challenge Podcast. I am your host, Bill Search, and I am joined by my good friends, Michael Foster and Brett Williams. Michael, Brett, so good to be together with you guys again. So happy to be here. Oh, it's great to be here again. Well, here we try in this brief moment together to offer up to other men who are in the cause, fighting the good fight, challenging each other to be men of honor, noble men who bear the marks of Christ well in the manliest of ways. So thanks for giving up of your time, and my hope and my prayer is that this would be incredibly helpful for you. And so we've been on this journey for some time now on this whole topic of what does it mean to be a godly man? And in particular, we're starting to define some of those terms a little bit. And today, uh, Michael and Brett, I, I want us to respond to just a few simple yet profound questions. And so the first question is this, uh, what does it mean? Robert Lewis, in his book, Authentic Manhood, he says that, um, that authentic men are called to be social and spiritual leaders. So what does it even mean to be a social and a spiritual leader? And maybe along with it, what doesn't it mean? Well, it's so interesting. I think that it's really easy to to get hung up on one aspect of life. And work is one of those things as a guy, we just know that we're going to do. I've I'd never imagined myself growing up and not having a job. I mean, that was just kind of expected of me. You kind of grow into that. Conversely, I remember my wife kind of talking about dreaming of the day she gets married. And I was like... Well, I've always wanted to be married, but I didn't actually dream of my wedding day. Just these these different dreams. And another dream of hers was to um, to have kids and and be home with those kids. And I was like, that's never been a dream of mine. No. And so you just you have that. You kind of grow up with this this work ingrained in you. And I think what ends up happening is you put so much effort in the work that you do that when you come home, you have nothing left to invest in anything else, and you just kind of come into a coma when you get home and um, you stay out of some of these social engagements or you stay out of these spiritual engagements and you let other people lead in those areas. And that's where it kind of gets a little tricky um, is that if you're if you're just kind of um, abdicating responsibility in those areas, you're not leading, you're not driving and you're letting someone else do it. And for the for the you know, just selfishly, you're probably not going to enjoy what someone else picks out for you in the way of friends or a way of a church or something like that. So if you're not engaged and present in the the leading those things, you're not going to be engaged and present when they're going on. And so it happens so many times. And it makes me really think a lot about a movie um, that I've been just just came up in a conversation the other day. It's called I Love You, Man. And it's about this this character that that is about to get married and he realizes he has zero male friends friends and he doesn't have anybody to, to ask to be a best man. So he has to kind of go out and actually find a friend. And this movie, I think, was so endearing because I, for me, it kind of comes up. Sometimes it's really hard to have those deep relationships with guys coming out of childhood. And as you kind of move away from some of those friends or if jobs take you away from those childhood friends, you kind of have to find some of those guys that you know well and that know you well. And it's really, really important to have that in your life. And if you're letting your wife pick your friends, you may not enjoy the person that um, the, the, the spouse of, of her best friend. And so there really is important that you have, you know, civil um, 
um, conversations with those people, but you also really need to have that guy that just you know well and knows you well. And and the movie does a really good job of just kind of showing that that a guy relationship is important in your life. Brett, what would you add to that? Would you add any of that? Would you echo that? Would you be like, nah, I don't think so. I would just echo that. I mean, that you did a fantastic job explaining that. It makes me think of um, when we're we're talking about uh, social leaders. Um, you know, sometimes God puts you in different areas uh, to to be friends and to you know socially acquainted with other other like minded people for a season, and, um, and 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 sometimes it's really difficult to break that that friendship up or whatever that that season of life is because he's called you somewhere else. And so I know with like my life with me and my wife, there's been many times that we're, you know, feel like God calling us to become friends with uh, someone and, and either mentor them or, or just uh, befriend them. And, you know, it goes great for a couple of years, but then you feel like you're supposed to, you know, I don't want to say sever the relationship, but, you know, move on into another season of life. And sometimes that's very difficult as well. But it takes a, a really strong, you know, man, a strong woman to be able to know when that time is to move on. I kind of ask this question and think about in the practical way is how do you find that friend? It's not like there's like a like a dude app, like a friend app or something where you yeah, can get on. Yeah, we need like a Tinder app with no romantic <laughs> inclinations. Completely <laughs> Completely, yeah, man Tinder. So, like, no, the, forget about that idea. That idea uh, was bad. Sorry. So the question is like, so if you if you find yourself in an area where you're like, okay, I really want some some relationships. Um, I'm I'm needing that in my life. How how have you gone about going to find those? Or mm. I mean, it, and it, you know, do you, what do you do? Like, what what's the question? And I think about myself. It's yeah. so easy um, in in the social uh, arena. Um, I'm coaching my daughter's volleyball team and I love it. Like it is the funnest thing, but I see the parents will bring their kids and they'll stand against the wall and with their phones, their phones in their hand looking down. Right. And, and there's so many, and, and you know what, what I, I get lose sight of the fact that my job as a coach is also to, you know, breathe life in, um, you know, awareness about the sport. I'm a, I don't know anything about volleyball, but um, I wanted my, my daughter to have some good relationships with kids that are their age. And I look around and it's not just about the the players. It's also about the parents. And I've got opportunities. And, and so you think about some of those places in your own life is like where, where are there some people that are gathering around you kind of look up from your phone or look up from your work or look up and see who's around advice. you. Right. That's and, great right. advice. I think, I mean, this is why even we started man challenge on Thursday mornings is to give guys a place where, you know, every guy that's coming in that room is coming in the room for the same reason, which is to be a better man and to be a more godly man, even though it even feels kind of maybe a little strange to say that, you know, as men, we don't always say, I want to be a godly man. That sounds so pious. Like, well, I don't want to be a priest. But it, yet, at the same time, that's what we're called to be as godly men. But so that's the importance of, you know, you just said it, putting yourself in a position or a place where you can make those friendships. You know, these were this was easy when we were in school. Even if for those of us who went to college, it was even easier there when you were in like a residence hall or something. You know, you could really forge friendships. And, uh, and then as a man gets older, particularly for those of us who've moved around, I, I have, I grew up in Michigan. I've lived in Chicago, uh, Kentucky, California, Wisconsin, Oklahoma. And every time as a man, 
you start over in relationships. Like when you're a kid, it's easy. You know, you move a fourth grader and they make brand new best friends and they've forgotten about all their third grade friends in a week. But you as a man move around and this is just a tricky piece. You don't even have to move out of your own city. You could just move out of a neighborhood. Right. You could move to the other side of town into a different suburb and then you're like hitting reboot and I think that men are like we don't like to be vulnerable, so we shift into isolation, don't we? So if we don't put ourselves out there, and uh, so when Karen and I moved here, that's why we were intentional about starting a small group. You know, that's where I got to know you two guys from. Right. Not just working here together, but but you know, in the home, in in an uh, uh, environment around the dinner tables. I've gotten to know your kids, and you've gotten to know my kids. But it takes effort. So I, you know, this is, I, I think this is just one of those topics that we can't talk about enough is that if a man has a buddy in his life who will hold his feet to the fire and encourage him, you know, if any of my friends, I think back years ago, a really, really close, close friend of mine was in a, in a serious marriage issue and he had met somebody else and uh, he had fallen head over heels for somebody else. And I just remember spending lots of time with him, talking him through the implications if he were to pursue that line of action, what would come? And uh, I wish I had a like a great happy ending where like, oh, he got counseling and it got better. It didn't. He pursued his own inclinations and his life went into full meltdown. Lost, ev- I mean, he really lost everything of value to himself. But uh, while that's a sad story, there are many men who had that same encounter and they listened to that friend. That friend talked sense into them and said, hey, you're thinking very short term here. You're thinking momentary. You're not thinking really with your right space. And so this is, I I just, I think this is such an important topic that as men, we need to be spiritual leaders, social leaders of our own lives. I think that's what Robert Lewis is getting at in his material. It's not that women don't play a role of leadership. It's that what happens is men abdicate. In fact, what's interesting is in the prophet Isaiah back in, uh, this is Isaiah 3, Isaiah describes a culture, his culture, where men cease acting like men. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Abolition of Men, called them men without chess. They looked like men, but they were not men. And so this is what he says in Isaiah 3. I'll just read a few verses of this. Um, Isaiah says, See now the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. And this is what he's going to, this is what the Lord's going to take away. All supplies of food and all supplies of water comma, the hero and the warrior, comma, the judge and the prophet, comma, the diviner and the elder, comma, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, comma, the counselor, the skilled craftsman, and the clever enchanter, period. So what he's seen is this, the Lord's going like, look, it's user to lose it. So if you're not going to follow me, you're going to be on your own. You're not going to have any men acting like men. And then verse four, it's like, this is in bold here. I will make mere youths their officials. Children will rule over them. And this is like this warning of, it, it, I don't know if, if what the prophet was saying is you literally will have like a 10-year-old in charge, or if you're going to have a 40-year-old who has the mentality of a 10-year-old in charge. Not exactly sure what is happening there. But um, a question here is what happens to a culture when, when men actually lead like Jesus. I mean, I think we can come up with plenty of examples that just echo what Isaiah just said was going to happen in Jerusalem and Judah. 
But what happens when a guy, through the power of the Holy Spirit, says, I am going to, I'm going to live for God? What does that look like in a culture? I think about a time that uh, I was uh, I was really young in my faith. I grew up in church, but you know it really wasn't until I was married and you know lived in a, a neighborhood and you know talking with neighbors and things like that, and found that there was this guy named uh, Billy, and his wife was named Sean, and they would um, they you know we became friends. Our kids were around the same age, so there we go talking about you know circumference of friends, you know, around same times of life, season of life and things like that. And he would, uh, uh, you know, they took us in, they, they were believers and they could see that my wife and I were not going to church regularly. We were not, uh, you know, in, in all of, you know, sense of the word, really not believers that he could see. And so they just kind of took us on their wing and kind of mentored us. And he kind of talked to us, uh, talked to, uh, Talk to us about our, our our life and about marriage, and it was just really great. The impact that he had on me as a man um, really wanted me to become more of that 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 spiritual leader in the house, right? And just that season of life that we were in that that area, and we were friends, um, was only a matter of a couple of years, but it stuck with me. And I think now. If he was to look at where we are now, I mean, he would be completely blown away that uh, that little bit of wisdom that him and his wife spoke into our lives um, has really changed the direction of our family. I, I, Brett, you've shared that story with me before, and I love it. I love when you tell that story because it's such a great reminder. I think it's a reminder of a couple things. One is, you know, you think about that guy, that family's impact on you, but it also through you has had an impact on your children and by God's grace, it'll have an impact on their children. Right. And so to me, this is like a great encouragement that as men, if we really grow up and act like the leaders that God's called us to be, not the instinctive leaders, but the God honoring leaders, not, not the old fashioned idea of a type A, I got to be in charge kind of selfish leader, but one who's a giving leader who nurtures and develops others and serves others. That your story is such a great example because as men, we have the capacity to do that. Not every guy is going to lead a, an organization. Not every guy is going to be a supervisor at a company. Um, some guys, they're just going to do a, a work. My dad was a factory worker, and no one ever reported to him except his three kids. And even that was, you know, sometimes we didn't always <laughs> report to him. But what my dad demonstrated was a lot of good in the mix with his own humanity he's not a perfect man but but um but in 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 his small way he had an impact that has a ripple out effect and so as men if we learn to lead ourselves as spiritual leaders and in those relational leaders we have that power and so i love that story of yours it's such a good one to just remind us of what this can can look like. Well, that kind of makes me think about growing up in the church. We had um, people that would pour in to the youth. Um, and I, there's three guys I remember that hung around and were around us that, that were godly guys that loved their wives. Um, in fact, actually, one of the guys, um, his wife had left him, but he, made, he remained a, a celibate 
um, man in the community. And just you look at their lives and they were so steady. And um, I had that in my own life. I, I had a great dad that, that was steady, but there was something about seeing it done in, in somebody else. And so I had great, th- I threw great examples of, of godly men that were growing up that were outside of my family that were able to speak into me. And I think about that for my own life. There's things that uh, my son went to camp this this past summer and he came home with this just fire uh, for Jesus. And like he preached to me for hours uh, on the car ride home um, because of what these other people in his life had spoken into him. And I think that's where is that that when you start to see this outside of your own family, it reinforces what's happening hopefully inside your own family. Um, And you're not doing it necessarily for other people, but that's a great byproduct of you taking leadership role in your spiritual walk and your spiritual life is it will affect people inside your sphere and people that you may never know outside of your own uh, your I, own you know that's right. a it's such a great example michael that just a great reminder here at, at our church you know we have we have some neat ministry opportunities where a man could invest in younger boys in our and our i think of 56 fifth and sixth grade kind of be in the beginning where a young boy starts to realize i'm different i'm a man up you know up till about fourth grade boys and girls are all Put together on sports teams and everything else, and there's really not a huge difference at that point. There's difference, but their athletic abilities and otherwise are kind of comparable. But right around fifth, sixth grade, changes are coming or happening, and so we have a neat ministry there. We have our seventh and eighth grade seventy-eight ministry, and then we have our our student, our high school ministry. And I I have a, a freshman in high school, fifteen-year-old boy, and. I, I uh, made him go to church last night because he was like, I don't want to go. And I'm like, well, guess what? I work there. So, uh, <laughs> so no, I, I, you know, even if I didn't work here, it's still important for the kid to be here. And if we rely on what they feel like, they will either, they'll eat junk food, sleep all day and play video games. So I said, no, bud, we're gone. Well, he had a great evening and he talked about it all the way home. And I said, hey, how was your small group? Oh, it was great. And he is a great small group leader. I don't know the small group leader. I'm going to get to know his small group leader. And then he goes to the Christian school next to the church here, and his small group leader over there is Ben. And I know Ben, and I am delighted that Jack has Ben. Because I look at Ben, I go, that is a young, manly, godly dude. And Ben, if you're listening, I'm looking at you, my friend, so no pressure there. But I'm glad that Jack has a young man like Ben. He has an old man like his father, but he views me as an old man. I viewed my 49-year-old dad when I was 15, same difference in age between Jack and me and my dad and me. And uh, I I, I know how he views me because I remember viewing my dad as sort of like old. But I remember thinking those guys in their 20s were older big brothers that were super cool. And I want that for my boy. I, I, I This is the power a man has to invest all the days of his life is it's sometimes it's cross-generationally and sometimes it's just man-to-man in within the same generation. I think we need both those relationships. So we could talk more about that, but before I get us off track on that, because I know that down the road in coming weeks, we're going to talk about mentors and we're going to talk about some of these sort of cross-generational relationships. But for now, last question is this. Um, Robert Lewis in in this material, authentic manhood, uh, quest for authentic manhood, he he says in Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3, we really see that a man, by God's design, has three responsibilities. Responsibility one is a will to obey God, 
Responsibility two is a work to do. And responsibility number three is a woman to love and care for. And so rather than um, try to attack all three of those, let's just talk about that first one, a will to obey God. And uh, oftentimes we fail to see obedience to God as a manly endeavor, but there is nothing more manly, I think, than a guy who takes obedience to God seriously. Would you agree? How do you see that play out? I totally agree with that. And you think about in um, the the obedience and carrying out um, is really mature, and you see growth in that by not wanting to fulfill your own desires. And if you think about kind of a military, not that, not that it's militaristic, but um, if, if the soldiers in a military only did what they wanted to, they're going to run away from that battle. Um, some people will probably stay. I mean, they, they might want to engage in some conflict and, and um, you know, bring home some, some battle stories and scars, but there, there'll be people that run away and there won't be any kind of collective effort for, for there to, to be any kind of meaningful uh, movement forward. And so that obedience um, to, to deny yourself and to be obedient to someone who's leading you. And no matter if you're the, the CEO of your organization or if you're the, the, the low man on the totem pole at the bottom of the hill, you're still taking um, direction from somebody, whether it's your customers or whether it's your boss or whoever it is, you're always um, in submission to someone or something else. Sometimes that's yourself, and yourself is going to be a really, really poor leader, and you're going to end up where you don't want to be. And so I think that's where if we can be obedient in, in submission to God, um, then we're going to end up in a really fulfilling and fruitful place instead of a, where you're serving yourself or you're serving somebody else is kind of a dry and desolate area. And so I, I think that's where it is. I love that line. Uh, this, your, yourself is a really poor leader. You know, <laughs> that should be a bumper sticker yeah. right there. That should be emblazoned on some successory poster somewhere. Yeah. Yourself is a pretty lousy leader. Or, or even it's a master. It's a, it's a really is a poor master. Poor master. Yeah, that's true. Self leadership. There's something to be said about that. But if your master is the self, you got anything to add to that, Brett? The only thing I was going to say is that I think you're spot on. And when you are obedient to God, and other people are watching you be obedient to God, your leadership value just goes way through the roof, right? And I know that even um, you know. This isn't all about sexual, but you know, when my wife sees that I've taken the lead because of of uh, obedience to God, or that I feel like I tell you know I tell her, hey, I feel God is telling us to do this or that, right? You know, my attraction level goes way up, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. she sees that submission, that obedience to God that I'm I'm taking and that I'm leading my family in that direction. You ever call her in? Mary, come in here. I'm obeying God right now. Come on in here. Come on in here. Come on in. I'm obeying God. No, you know, it actually reminds me of, you uh, kind of alluding to it, but it reminds me of one, one of my favorite actors of all time is Jimmy Stewart. And uh, he was the great iconic actor of everyone's seen It's a Wonderful Life, I think. And of course, that's the one of the starring roles that everyone's most familiar with him. But he was in tons of movies. He was like the bankable movie star for decades. He was like Tom Hanks of his era 
that kind of guy and um, won Academy Awards. In fact, what, what my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Jimmy Stewart stories is he won his Academy Award and then he joins the um, Army Air Corps, ends up a colonel in the Army Air Corps during the Second World War. But his Academy Award for the movie, I believe it was uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington or You Can't Take It With You. He's a uh, Frank Capra. He's in all his movies. But the Academy Award was in the front window of his father's hardware store in Indiana Town, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. So you imagine just a small town, Pennsylvania, walking by, and there's like, oh, there's Jimmy's Academy Award and <laughs> Mr. Stewart's uh, 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 hardware store. But anyhow, the story that I really love about him was one uh, he tells um, that uh, it, it wasn't even one he told. I, I guess Gloria, his wife of many, many, many years, was being interviewed and, and she was asked, uh, you know, later in his career, in his 40s and 50s, when he's a big time, super successful, very wealthy movie star, he was in a lot of roles where he was opposite young beauties. You know, this is what Hollywood still does. They'll cast an older man next to a woman who really could be his daughter's age, and they make a romantic lead out of that. Like, for instance, like in the movie White Christmas, Bing Crosby could have been Rosemary Clooney's dad i mean there's like right. a 25 year spread there although thanks to the uh Vista division and makeup they don't look that different in age but they were but anyhow all this say is so jimmy is you know he's up against he's he's a romantic lead against uh, these beautiful women and gloria was asked hey does it make you nervous that he's around these beautiful young ladies in other words maybe you know maybe he'll trade her in and uh, gloria said oh no i'm I'm not worried at all. In fact, when he comes home from a long day on the movie set, he just pays me extra attention. And I just love that. Like that to me is so manly. When I heard that, I thought that's who I want to be. I want to be the kind of guy that that the focus of my life is such honor. And and by the way, Jimmy Stewart was a lifelong church attending man. His first date with Gloria was at a Presbyterian ice cream social. Fun little trivia fact about Jimmy Stewart. This is a guy who took his faith seriously and was really, really fine at his craft. But it's a great reminder for us, too, I think, that there is a manly aspect to obedience. In fact, disobedience is about as weak as there can be. It's not manly at all. And there's something manly about being willing to go to the mat to say, I'm going to honor God with my integrity, with my being, with my life. That's manly. Well, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Join us next week as we continue this conversation on what's it mean to be a man, a godly man. So, uh, Michael, Brett, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much. Good stuff. It's It's always good to be with you. And until next time, I'm Bill Search. See you later.